Whether you're on the go with a summer vacation, or decide to spend your free time with a staycation, the No-So's got you covered. Relive your favorite era of wrestling with New Gen on a Mission, Wrestling Warzone, Extreme Three-Way Dance, or the Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Keep in touch with the modern era with GC Dub, Clotheslines and Headlines, You Know What That Means, and Viewer's Choice, or sit down and nerd out with No Holds Barred, WWE War, or The Wrestler That Was. It's summertime, and the living is easy. Because you've got the North-South Connection. NorthSouthConnection.com Podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at PlaceToBeNation.com The only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man. We call it the, uh, the place, the place to be. Yeah. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscola. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Welcome back to one and only Place to Be Podcast. I am Justin on this Monday. Joining me, as always, my PIC, this is Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, PTB Wrestling Network, friends and family. Welcome to episode 630 of the longest running, episodic, never ending motherfucking gold. Uh, we are 70 away from uh, seven bills. Speaking of uh, gold standard, you showed us a very f- interesting t shirt to. Uh, today to me, Jr. That totally should go in your collection. I know Mr. Richer looked at it, but there is a there is a T public T uh, shirt. Everyone of uh, Dusty resplendent in polka dots, dancing and shucking and jiving with the African Dream himself. And it's just I think the shirt just said Dreams, and it was an American Dream and the African Dream. That with all the awesome with all the cool shirts we own, Jr. That absolutely has to be in your collection. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Even more than Aaron Rodgers' jersey, that shirt needs to be there. So you're saying you're going to get it for me? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I could probably do that for you if you like. Okay, thanks. I'll get it for you for your birthday. Oh man, I can wait till December. <laughs> well, you want to wear? You want to get? You want to break in your Aaron Rodgers jersey whenever you get that? Or you're not going? You're not going to tempt? Uh, I don't drink. I don't drink. I don't buy jerseys. Anymore. Like when you got the Brett Favre Titans one, or my friggin' authentic Chad Pennington one. Yeah, it's the only, it's the only like authentic jersey I have that's not like a knockoff. And right, so he died right after I got it. So <laughs> anyway, always pleasure, Jr. Yeah. Welcome everyone to the show. Uh, why don't we bring in the third member of our Trinity uh, this evening? Get Cohen. Speaking of dreams, uh, you hear him on the North South Connection every Tuesday on Three by Five. He's also the host of the Sportscasters podcast co-host of the 24 inch podcast with 
our good friend Hollywood Dave, and that is, of course, our pal Steve Bennett. Steve, how are you? Hey, now. Hello, Steve. Steve. I feel like the last time I was on this show, I was spending my last night in the hospital and um, getting shot up with uh, Demerol or Dilaudid or whatever, literally while you guys were talking to me about whatever it was that we were talking about, which I don't remember because I was getting shot up with Dilaudid um, at the moment. But luckily for now, those days are behind me. I'm just excited to be back. It's an awesome Awesome show we watched today. I can't wait to get into it. <laughs> well, this is right in your wheelhouse, 2009. Oh, my God. This is my era right here. Yeah, you're this about to I kill love. the town. I can say that. And then yeah. uh, we'll, we'll be around much longer is my guess. But uh, before we head to 2009, what we usually do here on this show is we head back in time mm-hmm. to uh, 1995. We go back oh, about 14 years. And Scott Criscolo is here to tell us what was going on in the world of professional wrestling this day 14 years ago. Okay, JR. Now, this is going to be fun, guys, because I have two house shows tonight. Uh, WCW was off. There was no, they did nothing on this night. I think they were a couple of days away from Fall Brawl, um, 1995. Um, So I'm about to give you a pair of house shows from the worldwide leader, the flamethrower themselves, the World Wrestling Federation, on this date, September 13th, 1995. Uh, so JR, since you are, uh, and Steve, both, uh, like myself, all, uh, experts in the world of WWF, uh, I'm going to give you these two house shows. Let me know which one you think was the better. We'll begin house show number one from the Memorial center in Kingston, Ontario. Hmm. Here, here is your card. Aldo Montoya against Hunter Hearst Helmsley already an A plus in my book. No. Um, Henry Godwin against Dean Douglas. Fatu against Waylon Mercy. Mm-hmm. Barry Horowitz against Skip. The one, two, three kid versus Jean Pellefitte. Our world tag team champions, Owen Hart and Yokozuna against the Smoking Guns. Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum DDS. The Undertaker versus Kama in a casket match. And our intercontinental champion, Shawn Michaels against Psycho Sid. What do you think, JR? Top to bottom. I mean, I, I think for, you know, fall of 95, it's solid. It's probably, probably not going to get much better than that, even though Sean said it probably sounds better paper. It's not going to be what it was a year later at this point in the right. run. Um, yeah, I mean, whatever. Hmm. It's very, I'll say it's very uh, a capture of the time for sure. Yes. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I'm sure what, $15, $20 ticket back then? You know, I, I'd go. Hmm. Maybe. All right. That's what you know for spending $15 to get a free <laughs> It splits yeah. the difference between when 10 and 20. Yeah. <laughs> you could have went to that show, right? Isn't that fairly close to you? Kingston? Kingston, Kingston? Ontario? Oh, yeah. I've seen Pearl Jam there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you've been to this building then, the Memorial Center. Yeah, it's like it's a mini odd or like a mini Boston Garden. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Old, but it doesn't have the, the upper deck, you know? But it's exactly like those old hockey arenas minus an upper deck. Hmm. It's really cool, actually. It's a throwback. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, house show number two was from, I don't know, the building, but Lakeland, Florida. There were 450 people there. They definitely spent 10 bucks. Here's your card. Hakushi defeated Ooh. Rad Radford. Savio Vega defeated Duke Drosy. Our women's champion, Oh My Sweet Bertha Faye, defeated Alundra Blaze. 
Davey Boy. Smith defeated Bam Bam Bigelow. <laughs> I do like Davey Boy. Seems, seems very fitting in the cop car. Mm-hmm. Goldust defeated Bob Holly. And I think Goldust had even debuted. Yeah, I guess he did, right? Uh, no. Well, his debut match is October in your house. Right. But the vignette started in like August. So. Right. Uh, I don't know if he had appeared on screen yet, though, because they did like a bunch of vignettes for a while of just like his name and stuff. But right, um, I know he did do the house show for a while, right. like a good month and a half or so. So uh, the Blue Brothers, Jacob and Eli, defeated the Bushwhackers. Oh God! And finally, your 1995 Bushwhackers, not pretty. No, and your main event, Razor Ramon, defeating Mo. Who was oh, subbing God. for Mabel? So neither house show was there. Our World Wrestling Federation champion, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. I would say that that Lakeland, Florida house show is absolute garbage. <laughs> sorry, Ban- sorry, Bigelow. But uh, the, the Kingston, Ontario show is definitely better. <laughs> yeah. First of all, I want to correct myself. I believe it was Kitchener I was thinking about, not Kingston. Oh, okay. Uh, probably the same difference. No. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely a that show stinks. Although ja- Justin, you said that ninety-five bushwhackers like was something wrong with their tongues. I mean, did it really <laughs> matter once they got to the WWF? Did it matter what year it was? I mean, I'm, I'm not criticizing their work. You know, back in the day, they do these death matches or whatever. The sheep herders. Like once they got to WF, you just gotta lick and march around and yep. I mean, I'm sure the gimmick was fine, just you know. But yeah, yeah, that card was horrible. Yeah. I feel like they were a little serviceable earlier. Uh like 89, 90. I by 95, 96, they're really on their last legs. So I, I would say yes, there's probably a difference from like yeah. not 89, 88, 89, 90 versus then. Yeah. Yeah. Depends, I guess, what Jazz gonna do. Yeah, so, yeah, those shows uh, were happening on this date. WCW had nothing, as I mentioned. I think they were about a week away from uh, Fall Brawl, 1995. Um, ECW didn't have anything either uh, during this time on this date. So that is it for uh, your uh, uh, wrestling throwback to 1995. Uh, Time JR, because after these two shows, we're going to need to fire it up. Let's light Mm -hmm. up the Herb and see what Mr. Coons has going on. Oh, Herb's right. Well, we got a, a trio of Herb Coons tidbits here for you, Steve. Uh, this drops on August 24th, 1995, which actually, a little trivia for you, uh, timed out to another big uh, moment in history. Not just wrestling, but I mean all of history. It is the release of a very uh, popular and anticipated, I don't know, I don't know tech to come try things something in the world of like uh tech any guesses what it is uh, first iPod? nah it seems too early no this is 1995 is it a video game system uh not a video game system but like along those lines like a software slash big windows 95, 95 yeah. yes windows 95 was on that day so Got it. yeah um that was such a big deal i remember yeah that. i had that change the yeah. game man yeah, yeah it definitely did. Yeah. Put computers in everyone's house, really. And it held up. It was better than like later versions for a while. <laughs> like I think a lot of people tried to keep or revert back to Windows 95 when they did some later versions. But 
Um, definitely was the game changer. All right, DODFS SummerSlam on Sunday. Diesel versus Mabel for the world title. Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental title in the ladder match. Alundra Blaze versus Bertha Faye for the women's title. Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum. Undertaker versus Kama in a coffin match. Skip versus Barry Horowitz. Hakushi versus 123Kid. Hunter Hearst Helmsley versus Bob Holly. And Smokey Guns versus the Brothers Blue. Most people are betting that Razor Ramon will not turn heel, as the storyline has been hinting. Nowadays, when you consider people turning, you have to think about the merchandise as well. I guess that's a good point. Mm. That card's pretty much fully formed. That's everything. Uh, there's been a lot of buzz recently about WCW bringing in Sabu, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko. Most of the buzz in the news group has been negative. People have gone so far to say these guys did not want to go to WCW, but they were forced when Eric Bischoff contracted New Japan to force the move. Very shortly after the mid-June decision to create a new Monday Night Show to challenge Raw, it was reported in The Observer and hence in other places, there's a lot of thought being paid to the idea of having a great junior heavyweight style match on every show. Indeed, WCW began contacting wrestlers who could work the style. In the 8-7 Observer, Meltzer wrote that WCW wanted Al Snow, Guerrero, Benoit, Sabu, and possibly Malenko to up the work rate of their shows, which goes head-to-head with Raw starting September 4th. Of course, that's wrong. It'll be September 11th. At this point, they've accomplished getting... None of the above, because it appears that the company won't be offering newcomers contracts. In fact, it's constantly looking for ways to cut payroll. There's been concern expressed by several of the names above that WCW has been unable to get anyone over, that Benoit's treatment when he was in WCW with the treatment of Brian Pillman and Steve Austin, who have been with the company for years, and two or or three or four of the best workers in the company seemingly had careers that went nowhere. And the subsequent observer, Meltzer, wrote that the talks continued, but Benoit Guerrero and Malenko turned down the tabled offer in the last two strongly because Terry Taylor buried them on his hotline segment, saying Guerrero had never drawn money and that Malenko wanted control of his programs. A week later, all four had signed with WCW. Snow has accepted an offer to go to the WWF. A key point to the deal for Benoit Guerrero and Malenko is WCW had to go to New Japan to get them, making New Japan their primary employer. The original deal, they would have become WCW wrestlers who would get their Japanese tours booked to the office. The accepted deal apparently puts the New Japan commitments first and offers a little protection against being buried or severely misused. This deal, detail seemed to be the sticking point, and Darius offered to Benoit as well. While Benoit has offered a deal that would allow him to work New Japan, it wasn't clear which commitments Japanese or Darius would take precedence should both promotions want him. Besides, New Japan still holds a grudge against the WF over the breakdown of their agreement in the mid-80s. Meltzer mentions that Guerrero said his fears have been alleviated. To top things off, two cold Scorpios also looking for a WCW deal. Scorpios let go for failing a drug test a couple of years ago. I feel like that was one of the most coherent and on-point things. <laughs> I guess it's all from the Observer, but that Herb has talked about so far. Mm. Uh, most of the story sounds like routine negotiations, not strong-arm tactics. In the end, the wrestlers will work for WCW, but how does the promotion plan to use them? The 9-4 debut Nitro tentatively features Hulk Hogan versus Big Bubba Rogers, Brian Pillman versus Jushin Liger, Scott Norton in an interview, and Ric Flair versus Sting. September 11th, we'll see Hulk Hogan take on Paul Orndorff, Sting versus Mike Rotunda, formerly IRS, Randy Savage versus Norton, and Sabu versus Alex Wright. Certainly Pillman, Liger, and Sabu Wright matches have potential if they're allowed to work there to their potential. These wrestlers could be put on great matches to be sure, but will they be able to do more than provide an isolated great match on a weekly show? On one hand, these guys may be crippled by politics and the matches will be lousy. Or on the other hand, Bischoff, who has promised big things involving New Japan later this year, may have decided the kid market that WCW is trying to tap with Hogan and Gangle on top will also be attracted to smaller, faster guys. Just like New Japan discovered in 1981 with Tiger Mask, rediscovered in 89 with Jushin Liger. Along the way, New Japan managed to enthrall the adults as well. 
In the end, we'll just have to wait and see. The loss of Benoit Malenko and Guerrero will have an effect on ECW, who had been using the wrestlers regularly, and a sense of promotion that Guerrero and Malenko were feuding with each other, so their loss only eliminates one great match from the lineup. The wrestlers apparently fulfill all ECW commitments. Nitro will air on TNT, a channel which is not available to cable subscribers in my neck of the woods. As such, I'm looking for someone to supply me with tapes, at least for the short term. Ideally, I'd like someone to send me two-hour original copies of the shows bi-weekly. Easily possible if you have two VCRs. I'll trade hour-for-hour tape-for-tape. If the show is good, I'll probably do this for an ongoing arrangement. So there you go. It's a cool. old-school vibes. Imagine being the guy that used to trade tapes with Herb. Oh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more than one out there. For sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. As I mentioned last week, Mike IRS Rotunda has been working as a road agent for WWF. Apparently, WCW lured him back to the ring, presumably with the idea that it would show that the talent shifting from WWF to WCW. There's talk that Rotunda will team with Big Bubba, and the team will get a run as tag team champions. Oh, God. Tony Gurria has resumed his role as a road agent to take Rotunda's place. There's also talk that Luger may return to WCW, apparently with the proviso that he jobs to Hogan before being repackaged as a WCW wrestler. Luger recently gave notice, leading to a quick heel turn for Davey Boy Smith. WF is laboring for good help on top. Smith will dump on the USA to get instant heat. A few years ago, major news about Lex Luger was front page. These days, no one is interested. The Ric Flair and Arn Anderson split that aired this past weekend with a lot of video trouble. The angle was hurt by the jerky, often static video, but thankfully the problems faded by the post-match interview. Highlights of the angle here the next night on main event. Arn has taken the position that a lot of Flair fans have these days. Flair has been better, and he's lost his touch. Flair offered to teach Arn a lesson, and Arn stormed off. Later that night, I guess Arn better call a taxi because he ain't riding home in the limo. There was talk that after one match uh, between them, Flair and Anderson will rejoin to reform the Horsemen, along with a heel Brian Pillman and either Alex Wright, Steve Austin, or Big Bubba. On 9-4, WCW will air another all-nighter. UFC 7 takes place September 8th. Fall Brawl September 17th with a tentative lineup of Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Sting, and Vader taking on uh, Zodiac, Shark, Kevin Sullivan, and Ming. Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson, Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater versus Harlem Heat for the tag titles, DDP versus Renegade, Johnny B. Bad versus Brian Pillman, and Craig Pittman versus Cobra, who was formerly Thunder of Thunder and Lightning. Renegade is reportedly being sent to training school after the show. Bad and Pillman are reportedly set to put on a junior heavyweight style match, as that has become a regular element of WCW shows. Jody F is setting up some promising feuds with Bret Hart versus Jean-Pierre Lafitte and Haku versus, um, Haku. Hakushi versus Skip. I had the chance to see the interview debut of Goldust on Raw. On the surface, it seems terrible, but may they'll let, still let him wrestle when he gets in the ring. As with Shane Douglas' Dean angle, I'll wait to see what he's allowed to do when he wrestles. The WF is in your house three on September 24th. Uh, UFC-style pay-per-view on October 7th. So that was a lot, guys. So what do you, what do you got on this first batch? That's, I feel like that's one of the heavier herbs we've had in a while. Wait, that was just one of the three? That was one of the three. That was a Holy big one. hell. Yeah, there was a lot going on that week. That was yeah. a big week. I mean, that's the Luger yeah. week and everything else. He was on it on a bunch of stuff there. I mean, like you said, he kind of copied a lot of it from the Observer. But he was there. He had it. He was pretty good. I, I enjoyed it. A lot of it, I was closing my eyes thinking, did that happen? A lot of it did. So I think that was pretty good. Yeah, I think a lot of it did trickle in. I mean, he's got the SummerSlam card nailed. Obviously, that's a week away. But even Fall Brawl, the two Nitro cards he's got on point. I thought the Benoit stuff was some of his more poignant talking, uh, you know, points. But again, I think he lifted a lot of it from the Observer. So, um, all right, let's jump ahead to September first, nineteen ninety-five. Oh, my fifteenth birthday. There you go. Happy birthday. Yep. The WDF held SummerSlam this past Sunday, and I thought it was a good show. 
but I wouldn't heap the amount of, same amount of praise on it as some. Razor Moan versus Michaels and Kid versus Hakushi essentially guaranteed the show was positive unless an absolute atrocity occurred the remainder of the show. Those two matches were really good. I can't say how enough, enough about how great Michaels was. Even with the holiday earlier in the year, he's easily established himself as the strong wrestler of the year contender. Pay-per-view also had solid efforts in Skip versus Horowitz and Helmsley versus Holly. In my opinion, though, this is where I separate the match. Much of the praise from what I read. The remainder of the show was lackluster. The Guns versus Blues, Taker versus Kama, Hart versus Yankum, Blaze versus Faye, and Diesel versus Mabel had maybe one entertaining spot in each of them. The matches themselves were throwaways. Don't get me wrong, there was no negative star matches, just a lot of dry action. Guns versus Blues was absolutely nothing. Undertaker Kama was the best Undertaker match I've seen, ever seen, and I put it at one star. Wow. From a storyline standpoint, DiBiase apparently retained the chain that Kama has made uh, from the urn. So I guess someone else is working for Ted, who's left at this point. We'll pick up the slack in the feud. I mean, one, <laughs> Taker's best match at one star, so there you go. Uh, Hart harsh. versus... Uh-huh. Harsh. Very harsh. There. That's rough. Hart versus Yankum. Hart was wasted in this match. Although it's pointed out that Yankum isn't as bad as Sid, he's still pretty lousy. But for the blown leg job spot, there was nothing memorable in the match. The post-match angle left things flat, too. The storyline of Lawler going to his dentist for wrestling help is weak. The gimmicky name, I Yankum, and everything else about it is too contrived. Yankum's not going to get over on his wrestling ability. Not even working against a top face, top face like Hart. And Vince knows this because he saved Yankum to debut on the pay-per-view. In the end, Hart didn't want to put him over in any way. He acted dead for a minute or two and then swatted off the officials trying to help him. Blaze versus Faye was black, the worst match of the night. The future of the women's division is bleak. Diesel versus Mabel is quite bad, even with Diesel trying. Having Luger and Moe get involved was a good attempt to mask, but these guys can't work well. It only muddled the match for me. I suppose it was the best thing they could do and help further the storyline of Bulldog's turn, but the match quality is poor. So where does this pay-per-view lead us? A lot of likely positives with Ramon versus Douglas, Michaels versus Goldust, Skip versus Hakuchi, some middling efforts in Diesel versus David Boy Smith, and poor matches with Blaze Faye, Yankum and Lawler versus Hart, and Taker versus the Million Dollar Corporation. Same old, same old. There's talk that Missy Hyatt will start up a DRF as Shawn Michaels' manager. There you go. Lex Luger apparently will stay on with the DRF. It was rumored that Sting was making a push to get him to WCW, but the company didn't offer him any more than a routine contract. Talk is that both Ron Simmons and Butch Reed are returning to WCW. Randy Savage also got his brother Lanny Poffo a job as a Gorgeous George type gimmick. There's also talk that Scorpio has gone back to WCW as well. The Observer mentioned ECW wanted to keep him that expected to at least get the same money from WCW that he used to get. So it seems like this wasn't going to work out. We'll see. The Observer reports that the lawsuit against WF by former jobber Chuck Austin was quietly settled out of court. Austin suffered a broken neck after attempting to take the incorrect bump during a rocker dropper. Austin won a $26.7 million verdict. I heard recently WF was quite nervous because the insurance company was only going to cover $20 million. The Tampa Tribune reports that the settlement was in the $10 million range and almost completely footed by the insurance company. On September 4th, WCW air footage of another all-nighter. UFC 7 takes place September 8th. Fall Brawl, September 17th. Same card. In Your House 3 on September 24th. Yoko and Owen versus Diesel and Sean, where all the titles will be on the line. Razor Ramon versus Dean Douglas. And that's that. Um, so I'd say for everything you got right um, the week before, <laughs> I think I got everything wrong in this one. Yeah, this wasn't as sharp. No. What do you think, Scott? Any comments? <laughs> I can't believe that. Uh, I mean, Sean literally just won the IC belt, and they were already talking about Goldust, who hasn't even hit TV, and he was already going to get an IC title shot. That's like that's that's outrageous. That's like that's crazy. Um, 
It took five years. When did that rock? When did that Chuck Austin thing happen? Like ninety? Ninety. I think it was ninety. Yeah. Five years it took, huh? That's bad. Well, I think the the lawsuit was done. I think this was like they went to settlement over the over the award or whatever to pay it out. Right. So, but yes. That's crazy. How long it took? Huh? Yeah, but yeah, he was he was way off here. <laughs> he was yeah. So I, I wonder if he didn't have the observer. Like I feel like the week before. I think he just went off their observer, and that's why it was so poignant. And he had all this great information <laughs> because definitely a, a downturn this week. Mm. All right, let's get to our final uh, batch of notes here. This is from September 8th. I didn't get to see the show yet. TNT is only available via satellite dish where I am. But the big surprise at Nitro was the debut of Lex Luger to challenge Hulk Hogan. This was nine days after he ran in at SummerSlam main event that exceeded seems to create a storyline that we see Diesel and Luger taking on Davey Boy Smith and Mabel. The jump had to come as a bit of a surprise to Vince McMahon since the new, next two weeks of superstars prominently featured Luger's involvement in storylines. This coming weekend, we were to have an interview with Luger, and that would set up a Luger-Mabel match later to headline the next week's show. It'll be interesting to see what they do instead. This weekend, superstars also reignites a Razor Ramon 1-2-3 kid feud, with Kid eventually taking a heel role. Speaking of the Bulldog, his first interview since his turn aired this past weekend. Jim Cornette did a wonderful job explaining the storyline and getting the whole thing over, far better than Smith could on his own. While the Bulldog has been inconsistent recently, thanks to his increased weight, he'll be the best opponent Diesel's had in a long while. By the way, thanks everyone all for the tape. Blah, blah, blah. Observer discussed the acquisition of Eddie Guerrero, Malenko, and Benoit this week with the two most interesting statements. It was acknowledged on the 826 show that Guerrero, Malenko, and Benoit would be leaving for WCW with them trying to push the storyline idea that it was a New Japan deal coercing them to go versus somebody leaving ECW for a better financial opportunity. Uh, Heyman said that he was annoyed that WCW had to bully wrestlers to get them assigned, playing up the storyline aimed at smart marks of the New Japan uh, involvement, somehow forcing guys to go to WCW against their will when all three made that decision together. And New Japan over the decision was minimal. Steiner staying being proof of that. Heyman was told by Malenko and Kevin Sullivan that it was all a New Japan deal. Although ECW and Rob Feinstein have duked it out in the Observer Letters page in recent time, Rob's questionable credibility and reputation <laughs> well, you knew, meant that no one really cared. This week, Jason Pitaccio, who claims to have handled several t-shirt orders through his business without getting paid, also criticized ECW's business practices, ending with, as this is being written, papers are being filed. So hopefully I and everyone else will get paid the money we're owed. In closing, please stop funding this low-life promotion just because of chair shots and blood. God, it's already starting. The ECW uh, complaints about not getting paid, but there you go. Hmm. I guess reports that WCW is going to run another all-nighter were incorrect. It was never mentioned by the promoter, maybe later this year. WC, uh, UFC 7 takes place tomorrow. Fall Brawl on September 17th. Same card. Uh, in your house 3, same card. Halloween Havoc has a tentative lineup on October 29th of Hogan versus The Giant. Pillman and Anderson versus Flair and Sting. Vader versus Ming in a strap match. Savage versus Kamala. Page versus Bad. And Hawk versus Kurosawa. Benoit Guerrero Malenko will likely be added to the show. The tag match above will see Sting triple teamed by will become three of the four new horsemen. His rumored Paul Orndorff could be the fourth horseman. Pay-per-view on 1126 for WCW will feature the return of Doom, Ron Simmons, and Butch Reed. And uh, that's it for Herb. So any final thoughts? Uh, UFC seven was actually in, uh, Buffalo, um, big Buffalo week for you, Steve, the yeah, brawl in Buffalo was called. a lot before like the rules change. And then it was banned in New York and stuff. I think a couple of the first, however many were here. Yep. It was September. As, as you mentioned, the main event was Shamrock and Oleg Taktarov, Taklarov, Taktarov. Um, 
I don't see anybody else here of note. Well, at least for me. Roger probably knows all these guys, but uh, <laughs> I just knew Shamrock and talked wrong. Anyway, yeah. Um, I I mean, obviously, <laughs> there was obviously some type of, of uh, financial problems already at ECW or else, uh, you know, Vince wouldn't do what he did a couple of years later. So already, right. <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, they once there, there was definitely a blowback of them spitting in the face of the NWA. And that was the, the purse strings. I don't know how, I mean, even NWA wasn't at its best anyway, but the point is if you're going to do that and you're going to put yourself on an Island, this is what's going to happen. So it's not a surprise that there's already fiscal issues, even though 95 is one of my favorite years creatively for, for ECW. Um, they were definitely, uh, they were definitely struggling. That's, that's for sure. How long does Herb do this, Justin? To, into what year? Um, I want to say like oh one. Um, oh, wow. he technically goes to 02, but I don't know if this archive is just lacking or if he ta- tapered off. It looks like ninety nine is like the last year he does like every week. Two thousand he has a bunch. Oh one he's only got uh, like sixteen or so, and then there's like a handful in 02. Wild, yeah. I mean. I remember, like, in the infancy of the internet here, like, you know, when Windows 95 came out and I got my first home computer or whatever, maybe a little bit later than this. But I remember I used to read this thing called the Jobber Report, and it would come to my AOL email. The little mailbox would say, you've got Merle. And I'd look, and it was the Jobber Report. And they would have, like, the reports from Raw when it was taped, and they would have a lot of this kind of thing, like Mm -hmm. information about what's going on, but from other sources. They would just kind of repeat it. Herb's kind of a mix of that at this point, you know, leaning on the observer and wherever he gets his own stuff. But that's pretty fun. It's fun looking back at those. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was big on the newsletters and different stuff like that during that time period. And it was very similar. It was around this time, like the different hotlines were popping up and all that. Yeah. So they were definitely using all of the similar stuff. So, yep. um, yeah. All right. So all that said, uh, you know, ECW obviously hemorrhaging a little bit of talent here. But as we know, 96, 97, 98, still still very strong in ring and storyline and creative product for ECW. And some would even say we're nearing a time where it becomes a gangster's paradise in ECW when New Jack and Mustafa get on the scene. And of course, also living in the gangster's paradise are the children in Dangerous Minds and Coolio. Because this is the number one song in the country this week in 1995. And that brings us to Scott Criscolo's Vintage Pop Culture Corner. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. Cause I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. But I ain't never crossed a man that didn't deserve it. Me be treated like a punk, you know that's unheard of. You better watch how you're talking. That is uh, correct, JR. And yes, Dangerous Minds, good movie. Michelle Good song, Coolio. Dangerous Games Paradise. Number one this week. Uh, I feel like for most of 95, we had kind of had like the same four or five songs, but I feel like we're starting to get a little, mm-hmm. little separation. Number two this week, You Are Not Alone, Michael Jackson. Uh, Kiss from a Rose by Seal from, of course, Batman Forever at five. Uh, Waterfalls by TLC at four. Good top four right there. Boom, uh, Boombastic in the Summertime by Shaggy at five. Continuing. Runaway by Janet Jackson. Debuted at number six. Wow. 
I can love you like that by all for one at seven. Only want to be with you by Hootie and the Blowfish at eight. I thought this album came out in 96. It came out in 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got five on it by Loonies. Loonies? Loonies at nine. And Colors of the Wind from Pocahontas by Vanessa Williams. It's a loaded year. 95 is a loaded year. I it absolutely love really that music. Yeah, uh, totally. Absolutely. I hope to never hear any of those songs ever again in my life. <laughs> well, it's a great year. Great year. Horrible garbage. Um, well, let's see. Per, uh, what what was the second? Uh, yes. Whatever the second Pearl Jam album was, whatever that came out. Came out ninety three. It'll be two years old by then. Two years old by then. Yeah. So whatever the third album came out, what was that? Ninety four was Vitology, and then ninety six was was uh, so an off year for them. But that doesn't matter. I mean, they they didn't really have a big like hit like that until Last Kiss in ninety nine, which right. they, was in you know by itself. But you know, like these pop charts, pop music, so. And I just don't enjoy it, I guess. Back in the yeah. 80s, though, back in the 80s, pop music and rock music shared these chart positions, but it changed to 90s. And now, forget it. I mean, now it's all essentially rap music or something similar to that. Yeah, they all they all have their own. Now they have the alternative. Right, yeah, they have the We go from the radio to the big screen. What was going on in the movies on this week? This is the weekend chart for September 15th, 1995. At number 10, A Walk in the Clouds. At number 9, Babe, The Talking Pig. Uh, preview, uh, premiere uh, for this week, uh, Angus. I don't remember mm. that. At number eight, Mortal Kombat. Kid, right? Angus. Green Angus Day. is a little, yeah, a little like, uh, yes. Little yeah, I remember it. Yeah. Like the grungy kid, right? It was like a. J- J-A-R was the Green Day song on there. And I just remember that because it was like not on an album. So everyone bought the, what did you say, Angus soundtrack to get that song. But yeah, little fat kid. Dirty. So at number uh, eight, uh, seven, the first Mortal Kombat, making good money at this point. Braveheart at six. Ooh, now we're talking. Yeah. Uh, oh, another great movie at five. The Usual Suspects. Oh, tremendous movie. Number four, uh, a very underrated premier debut and a great movie that uh, I think kind of gets lost in history, but is actually a pretty good movie for the '90s. Hackers with uh, a very very young Angelina Jolie. Yep. Dangerous Minds, speaking of, sitting at number three. Clockers premiered at number two. And one of the most unusual movies of the decade actually spent its second week at the top of the domestic charts. Probably one of the last really good movies for Patrick Swayze. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. One of the stranger movies of the decade, but mm-hmm. it's Patrick Swayze, so that's okay. So that was number one. So kind of an up and down top ten in the theaters. Uh, interesting. Yeah, kind of up and down. Uh, let us go now to uh, what was going on in Major League Baseball on this date. Let's take a oh, look. Good stuff here. Big year, 95. Yes, of course, as we mentioned uh, throughout, starting late due to the uh, the uh, that rollover strike. 148, I think they played. Yeah, yep. Or, yeah, something like that. Something on like this that. date, let's see. Red Sox beat the Orioles. Uh, the Yankees lost to Cleveland. Cleveland was a, were studs at that point. Mets probably lost. No, they won actually. <laughs> Jesus, they beat the Astros ten to five. Yes. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, in this year, anyway. Um, Steve, where's your team? Let's see. Well, they went ninety and fifty-four. They played one forty-four that year, so they okay. probably won. So they won the World Series this year. I mean, spoilers, but you know. Yeah, let's see the Brave. What do they do on this date? Brave. Uh, they beat Colorado nine seven. So a slugfest at was it Mile High or was it already Coors Field at this point? 
Mm, good question. I think it was this, course. This field. was their first year, oh, yeah. so. Yeah, it was yeah. their first year of course field. First year. Course. No, I mean it was their first year as a team, so I don't, I don't know. No, no, their first year as a team was '93. Oh, yeah, that, oh that's I'm sorry. Yeah, this is the yeah. year they made the playoffs. That's right. Yeah, this is the year they made the wild card. So at this point, Red Sox leading the East comfortably over the Yankees. Uh, Cleveland blowing out the Central. Angels with a five-game lead over Seattle in the West. In the East, uh, Braves had it wrapped up. Uh, the Reds had it wrapped up in the Central. Colorado was actually in first place at this point. They had a one-game lead over the Dodgers. Of course, they would let that they, that would fade. They'd make it as a wild card. So it's September. Oh, that means do it. We go from one field to taking the field. All right, it's our uh, initial installment of this 95-96 NFL season. Last season, Scott, mm-hmm. I won over the field 40-33, to 33, so pretty dominant outing. Yes. Uh, although Steve did get the best of me in the final week of that uh, run, 11-7, but I was, I was coasting. I wasn't really – I was a little checked out. I already had the win locked up. Hmm. Uh, of course, 1995, uh, your defending world champions are the – uh, San Francisco 49ers, mm-hmm. Super Bowl uh, 29. Uh, big movements for two teams heading into 1995. Uh, in That's the span of a year, the state of Cal- the city of Los Angeles went from two teams to no teams. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Raiders went from uh, Los Angeles after being there from 1982 to 1994. They went back to Oakland because Al Davis has the attention span of a nine-year-old. And couldn't stand being in L.A. anymore because he never got a new building. And playing at the mausoleum is, is ridiculous. So he went back to Oakland. As for the other team in L.A., they took a much longer trip. The Rams, who had been in L.A. since uh, probably the late 40s, early 50s, when they left Cleveland, left L.A. also because they didn't get a building. And they weren't going to play in Anaheim anymore. So they moved to St. Louis. St. Louis did not have a team for what about seven years after the Cardinals left and went to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So now there is no team as of 1995. And this would be this way for what the next 22 years, there would not be a national football league team in the city of Los Angeles for the next 22 years. I think the Rams went back in 2017. I think. Anyway, it is week two of the 1995 NFL season. And uh, Jr., you have a very formidable opponent to open this uh, to open this year. Let's see if you can defend your championship. Okay. All right. We begin at Rich Stadium in Buffalo. Mm. Bills kind of sliding out of their dynasty. Host the Carolina Panthers. We talked about them. Is this their first season? I think this is their first season. I'm yes. Dad, all right. Yep. That's right. We have two expansion teams as well. Look at this. So, Jr. the Bills hosting the new shiny Carolina Panthers. Uh, I will take uh, the Buffalo Bills in this game. Steve? Yeah, I remember this game. My dad had season tickets back then, and um, every year I would look at them when they came in the mail, and I get to pick out a game or two if I wanted to go. I look at all the logos, and I remember, like, who the hell is this team? I know there's no chance they lost at home to Carolina week two of the first season. So they did. The yeah. yeah, they did. Bills 31, Panthers 9. 
Next, we go to, uh, speaking of a team that was going out the door, boy, what's such a transition in the mid-90s? This team playing their last season in this building, although at, at the time they didn't even realize it. We're at the uh, Mistake by the Lake Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. The Browns hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Steve. This is the Vinny Testaverde Bowl, I believe. Um, I believe he's the Cleveland quarterback here. Um, so I, I guess I'll pick Vinny Testaverde. I, I with Cleveland, I go over the box. I don't really know. It's a guess. Yeah, I feel like Tampa is getting close to like getting decent. I know it's pretty soon in here. They have like a weird, like random nine and seven year or whatever. I don't think we're quite there yet. This is the year after Belichick, and I feel like Cleveland's like okay ish. So I'll go with the Browns. I think Belichick was here. I think he I thought it was 90. Oh, yeah, 94 was the playoff year. This might be his last year then. Yeah, no, he he leaves. He doesn't go to, to he doesn't move. <laughs> Anyway, this is their uh, last year in Cleveland, right? Yes, that's what I was saying. This is their yeah. last at the time, though they had they didn't know it. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is Belichick's last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vinny threw for two fifty six. Browns win twenty two to six. Yeah, the Vinny Bowl. Let's go to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. The Chiefs hosting the New York Football Giants. Jr. Uh, I will take the Chiefs at home. Okay, Steve. So this is the year I think that um, Bono got a chance to be a starter. I think this might have been the first year that I'll just bet I'm Arrowhead, though. I don't really know. Okay. Well, Steve Bono did start through for 183 yards. Chiefs win in overtime. 22. I think the Giants kind of suck this year, don't they? Yeah. So next, we'll head to the Metrodome in Minneapolis. The Vikings host the Detroit Lions, Steve. Oh, boy. Let's see. Scott Mitchell era. Lions. Uh, it's in Minnesota, you said? Yes. I'll take Minnesota. I think we're like in prime, real prime. Barry Sanders is going off stretch here, carrying them to the, I think their last playoff thing was around this time, right? Is it, it might be this year even, or the year before. Um, I'll go, I'll go Detroit here. Okay. Uh, Scott Mitchell did throw for 279. Robert Smith threw for a buck 11. Uh, Vikings win 20 to 10. He threw uh, for we, a buck eleven or ran for a buck eleven. No, Robert Smith ran for a buck eleven. Oh, okay. I was going to say, wow, he threw for one hundred eleven <laughs> yards. That's sweet. Okay. Scott Mitchell threw for two seventy nine. Got it. All right. Next, we'll go to uh, Foxborough Stadium. I think it was. I don't think it was Sullivan anymore. In Foxborough, the Patriots hosting the Miami Dolphins. Jr. Uh, I will. So this is ninety five, ninety six. This is the Super Bowl year. I'll, I'll take Miami. Okay. Yeah, this is Bled, this is Bledsoe's what second year, maybe. Yep. Third. Third year. Third year. They're not very good yet. And Montana or uh, Montana Marino's still in Miami, so I go Miami. Uh, Bledsoe throws for two sixty seven, but the Dolphins win twenty to three. Yeah. We go to the Astrodome in Houston. Uh, I think this is the last season for them here, <laughs> I believe too. Mm-hmm. Uh wow, nineteen ninety-four change in the NFL, huh? Yeah, uh, the Houston Oilers hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steve, oh boy, in Houston they always used to beat the Bills around this time, unless it was the playoffs. And um, I think this is—is is this McNair's rookie year? I think McNair's a quarterback. Uh, I don't know if he played in Houston, did he? I know yeah. he played for the Tennessee Oilers when they were they had the one year as the Tennessee Oilers. That might be right. It might be a little early for McNair. Um. Yeah, I, I'll just I'll pick Pittsburgh. I guess I don't okay. I don't know. 
Well, this right, is the Steelers yeah. Super Bowl year, right? So I'm gonna I'll take them here. Yep. Uh, Chris Chandler was quarterbacking the Oilers. He threw for oh, buck seventy six, okay. but the Steelers win um, thirty four seventeen. The first game for the St. Louis Rams at the Dome, or were they playing at the uh, at Bush? Now I don't remember. I don't think there was a dome yet. Uh, they were probably playing at Bush. Um, first game, they host – well, second game, actually. They host the uh, – I believe uh, Mr. Bennett knows this team, the New Orleans Saints. Yep. And uh, I remember, I remember this game. It was absolute – oh, is Justin up? It's right. JR's turn. Okay. Uh, well. I know this one, Cole. All right. I'll go with the Rams. Okay. Steve? So this was played at Bush Stadium for sure. Um, I think Isaac Bruce scored the first ever touchdown for them in the, uh, you know, in the in the, the new Rams era, and they won 17-13, I believe. They did. Rams 17, Saints 13. Jim Everett threw for 247 for the Saints. Yep. We go to RFK Stadium in our nation's capital, where the Washington Redacteds host the Oakland Raiders. Uh, Steve. No idea. I'll take the Redskins. All right. JR? Yeah, me too. Gus Farratt throws for 272, but the Raiders win 20 to 8. Oh. We go that's, to Riverfront Stadium yes. in Cincinnati. Bengals, take, where the Bengals take on the other new team of 1995, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, JR? I'll take Cincy. Steve? Yeah, my man. Um, I just used him in the Immaculate Grid, the football version. My man, Jeff Blake, so I'll, I'll pick them. Jeff Blake threw for 247. 102 of it went to Mr. Pickens. Bengals win 24-17. We go to Texas Stadium in Irving. The Dallas Cowboys host the Denver Broncos. Steve. This feels like a summer all Madden, you know, 405 or whatever game. Um, although, oh, shit, Denver's a road team, so it's not on Fox or CBS, whoever had it at that point. I'll, I'll, pick, uh, I'll pick Dallas. They're too good then. Yeah, I'll take the Cowboys. Uh, well, it was a AFC road game, so it was right. On, yeah, that's what I said. So it was on the other channel. Yeah, it was on. I don't think CBS had got. No, it. they didn't get back to like ninety eight. So yeah, this then, is still, NBC is NBC. still doing the AFC. Okay. So uh, yes, Troy threw for one ninety six. Emmett rushed for one fourteen. Cowboys win thirty one twenty one. We go to Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands. Yes, the Jets, 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 Jets. Is this still Bruce Coslett? This wasn't Kotite yet, right? No, this is uh um yeah, this is, is the last year before Parcel, so it's Kotite's second year. Okay. Uh hosting the Indianapolis Colts, JR. Uh I will take the Colts. <laughs> JR uh Steve? I was gonna say the Jets, but that's his team. So if he's saying the Colts, I'll just go with him. Boomer threw for a buck ninety eight. Uh competitive game, highly competitive matchup. Colts win in overtime, 27-24. Yeah, the Jets only win three games this season, and this is uh, when they end up getting Neil O'Donnell the next year. So this is two years before. Is this year they got Keyshawn in the draft? No, they got him in a trade. Never mind. No, they drafted him. It's, no, it's they the year after him. this. They get him this the year after this, yes. Yeah. Because they go 3-13. and 13. This is actually Kotite's first year. And then, then they, um, the then next they year they have Kotite again. They sign Neil O'Donnell. And they go 1-15. And, and then they get Parcells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because because the following year, Parcells brings the Pats to the Super Bowl. All right, we go to Jack Murphy, the Murph, Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. The Chargers host the Seattle Seahawks. Steve. Oof, this is another one. I have no idea. How about, where'd you say it was? 
it's at the Murph. All right. So in the baseball field and everything, I'll, I'll pick the home team. Okay. Yeah, I'll take the Chargers. Okay. And they do win 14 to 10. Two, uh, Candlestick Park. Is it 3Com yet? No, it's still Candlestick Park in San Francisco. The defending world champion 49ers host the Atlanta Falcons, JR. Uh, I'll take the Niners. Yeah, I'm going to take the Niners. Yeah, Niners were loaded. Steve Young throws for 331. Niners win easily 41 to 10. We go to uh, Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe. The Cardinals host the Philadelphia Eagles, Steve. I just want to say real quick, I, I saw a Jerry Rice stat the other day because people forget how good he was. Think about how good Justin Jefferson is. And whatever he's averaging so far in his career in TDs, he'd have to play 24 seasons to pass Jerry Rice. <laughs> Pretty much. If he continues on the same average. So just a little perspective there. Um, geez, the Cardinals are bad here, I think. Um Boy, I don't know. Uh, Eagles? Okay. JR? I'll take, I'll take Philly. Well, to give you a little sense, the quarterback for the Cardinals was Mike Buck. <laughs> oh, my God. Eagles win, 31, <laughs> Eagles win 31-19. And finally, Monday night at Soldier Field in Chicago, the Bears hosting the Packers. Uh, JR? I'll take Green Bay on the road. Steve? <laughs> Excuse me. I'm choking on my own spit. Uh, all right. I'll take Green Bay, too. Protect the lead. And uh, Brett Favre throws for 312, 161 of it to Mr. Robert Brooks. Packers win 27 24. All right, Steve. Well, we both showed up for week one. Uh, you won. What I missed one, you missed one. I missed two, you missed. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, I guess. No, I missed two, you missed one. Is that what we did? We both missed the same one, and then I think you might have missed one other one. Yeah, yeah. So 14 13 was the final score, which is pretty strong. Wow. Very impressive. That's Peter Winston territory right there. That's right. Yes. That might be the highest combined we've ever had. Diener beat me 13-12 a couple seasons ago. Um, that might be – that's going to be up there, 14-13. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that is it for a very long and exciting Pop Culture Corner. All right. Let's fast forward to September 13th of 2009 to talk Breaking Points. For the Bell Center, 12,000 strong in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, the first and to date only ever edition of Breaking Point. The big matches are all submission-based. Canada's 14th pay-per-view, the first since Unforgiven, 2006, Montreal's third pay-per-view, the first since No Way Out, 2003, and of course, I think most know what the first one was. On August 24th, Floyd Mayweather Jr. was a guest host of Raw, and then four days later, Rey Mysterio Jr. was suspended 30 days for a first violation of the wellness policy. On 8-28, Jeff Hardy lost a cage match to CM Punk, with the stipulation being he would leave Dodie if he lost. He said his goodbyes, only for Punk to attack him on the stage. This would be Jeff Hardy's last appearance on WWE TV until WrestleMania 33 in 2017. Mm-hmm. Crazy, right? So, very long layoff for Jeff Hardy. On August 31st, the American Dream Dusty Rhodes was the guest host. And on 9-3, Dodie did a four-day tour of Puerto Rico. On nine seven, Bob Barker was a guest host, a uh, very infamous guest host of The Price is Raw. 
as a as a fun one. On 9-11, Jeff Hardy was arrested on felony charges of trafficking controlled substances. Search warrant executed his home and covered 262 Vicodins, 180 Somas, 555 milliliters of anabolic steroids, residual powder of cocaine, and drug paraphernalia. Hardy was released after posting a $125,000 bond. Pretty sure he debuted on Impact like the next day. No. But usually the TNA at that time didn't seem to give a shit about any of that stuff. They'd usually sign everyone. Uh, and Sylvain Grenier was backstage at this show. All right, let's head into the action as Evan Bourne takes on Bravo Guerrero on the dark match for the evening. And then we head inside the arena. We get a hype video for Raw and SmackDown. Todd Grisham, Michael Cole, and Jerry the King Law are welcome. And we find out Jim Ross is sick at home. We'll miss tonight's show. We have a half and half ropes for this. We have half red, half blue kind of merging in the middle, which kind of look cool to hype mm. up the uh, – I'm sorry. I'm at the wrong uh, one here. Let me go back up. Two breaking points. That was uh, I'm sorry. That was breaking point. I get to no. That was breaking rights. Where the fuck are we? We're breaking point. Well, Evan Bourne and Chavo was a dark match. That is true. That is correct. We get an opening video focusing on the submission steps and top matches, and that brings us to our opening match. That is Jericho, Chris Jericho, and Big Show taking on MVP and Mark Henry for the Unified Tag Team Title. Scott, how do we get here? Well, on the 824 uh, Raw, Jericho confronted guest host Floyd Mayweather about WrestleMania 24. Of course, we all know what happened there until MVP interrupted and issued a challenge where if he and a mystery partner could defeat Jericho in a non-title match, they would get a title shot at the pay-per-view here. And Jericho accepted. MVP revealed Mark Henry as his partner, and they did beat Jericho thanks to Mayweather, which is why we have our match here. On the 831 Raw, Jericho defeated MVP in a singles match. Henry defeated Show by DQ, only for Show to knock Henry out after the match. And on the 9-7 Raw, Jericho was forced to compete on the prices Raw. He confronted guest host Bob Barker as he demanded to be given respect, but he would inadvertently win the prize and would face MVP in a match to win a five-day trip to Hawaii, <laughs> though he would later lose. Later in the night, Show would easily defeat Santino Morella in a body slam challenge, only for Henry to challenge Show to the same stipulation, and he would defeat Big Show. And that brings so up. we do have three announced teams, uh, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler for Raw, Jim Ross and Todd Grisham for SmackDown, Josh Matthews and Matt Stryker for ECW. Jericho Show make their way out. They get their sick theme. The tag titles are dominant force. to get a good pop for MVPs. Hyped up, followed by Henry. They get their matching red. Cole talks about Henry slamming Big Show as we get settled in. The crowd is buzzing. MVP and Jericho start off. MVP cuts him uh, with a flurry of strikes and takedowns. Henry tags in, but Jericho slips free. Scurries to tag Show. The crowd is buzzing. Show strikes first with heavy punches, tries an avalanche, but Henry catches him and slugs away in a nice spot. Show takes back over. We get some quick double teams, tags, and chicanery by the champs. Cole reminds us that Floyd Mayweather made this match as Henry and Snow, uh, Show collide and wipe out. MVP gets a tag, cuts through Jericho, who stays alive, but eats a kick. Show catches a blind tag, hits MVP with a big spear. Show tries to choke MVP out as the crowd tries to rally him. Jericho tags in and gets a Cobra clutch. The crowd pushes MVP to escape. He gets two on a small package. The champs maintain control, work over MVP, but he counters Jericho, makes a tag, and Henry mauls Jericho with an assault. Throws around, hits a big splash for two. Show slings MVP to the floor. Henry knocks Show out after him. Henry knocks Jericho down for a close two, then counters a code break with a flapjack. But Henry turns and Show hits him with a KO punch, and Jericho covers to win. 
I think it's a pretty fun classic style tag opener. The, the crowd is red hot. I mean, it's Montreal as always. Four dudes that know how to make this style work. Jericho are such a good super team because they're dominant, but also work well with other teams. They're smooth and believable thanks to Jericho. And then Show getting the hot tag and using his power. MVP and Henry is a good team. Hopefully they stick around. And a pretty good finish as Henry and MVP get close, but the champs steal. I went three stars on this opener, Scott. I went three stars as well. Uh, I thought this was a fun match. I I think uh, Big Show was a good, uh, I think we talked about this, Big Show was a good audible when Edge got hurt. Um, and they've been fun together as like a dominant, experienced, grizzled, heel, uh, you know, heel tag, you know, uh, heel tag team champions. Um, MVP, I feel like is now treading water, which is not good for 2009. I mean, there really shouldn't be anybody treading water in 2009. Plenty of opportunity. Um, Mark Henry's feels like he's kind of been, I mean, he's obviously, I, I assume turned babyface after kind of the mild heel run, but, um, it was a fun match. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I like the back and forth. Big Show is kind of in a good groove right now. Um, getting away from Undertaker and all that Vicky Guerrero crap. Um, he's been pretty cool. Uh, I like where Jericho is right now. Uh, you know, he was in the main event picture, had the world title, but I kind of like him in this stretch here. I know we're not a big fans of two singles guys as as a tag team, but I think it yeah, works. Yeah, but this became more of a team than just singles guys. Yeah. So. No, it definitely did. It definitely did. I enjoyed the match, Steve. I thought it was a good opener. Yeah, I didn't mind it. It's one of the better ones on the show. I was just so distracted. Um, by you know, nothing looks right to me. It doesn't sound right to me. I really feel like a fish out of water here. Obviously, I haven't watched a show in this era in a long time. I can't believe they had the three different announced teams. Boy, did that suck. Um, so it's kind of distracted, kind trying to get settled into it. It was good, it was fine. Um, before I knew it, it was over. And when I saw it was 12 minutes, I was like, that's eh, a little bit better than I thought because it didn't feel like 12 minutes. So I gave it two and a half stars. All right, Josh Matthews in the back. He's talking to Legacy about the big submission count out uh, false county where match. Cody says this will be a fight, not a match. It could spill into the streets. DX is great, but they'll prove that DX is actually the underdogs. DBIC says they'll tap for the first time ever. DX is like their glow sticks. They're going to burn out. You lose interest and throw them away. It's a pretty good promo by Legacy to uh, paint DX's relics on their way out the door. Brings us to our next match, which is for the United States Championship, and that is Kofi Kingston taking on The Miz. Scott, how did this title match occur? All right. Well, on the 824 Raw, Miz defeated Santino Morella and cut a promo saying he was one step closer to becoming United States Champion. On the 831 Raw, Kingston defeated Miz, Jack Swagger, and Carlito in a fatal four-way to retain the U.S. title. And on the 9-10 Superstars, Miz and Swagger defeated Kingston and Primo when Miz pinned Kingston as this match was made. And here we are. All right. Miz saunters out. Pretty big spot for him. He gets the mic and speaks in French. Perhaps he's learning it to woo Maurice, maybe. Kofi's out to a pop. Good to see the young talent getting spotlights. Cole talks out Miz's new aggressive attitude. The crowd's behind Kofi as Miz works a headlock. Kofi comes back with a controlled frenzy, mixing strikes and quick flying attack to keep Miz rocking. Gets a couple near falls. Miz catches Kofi with a kick on a charge. Gets to work through his basic offense, going into the neck. He cranks a chin lock. After a nice boot to cut off a cross-body block, he stays in his lane. He's wrestling confidently. Gets some near falls. Kofi's able to throw him outside. Miz is a move ahead again, though. He yanks him hard off the apron. Really good commentary about Miz's evolution. Back in the ring, Miz gets two on a top rope axe handle, but Kofi comes back. The crowd's invested as Kofi gets a flurry of kicks. Counters two. Uh, roll of the dice type move for two. 
Back and forth we go down the stretch. Miz kicks Kofi hard to block the boom drop. The two trade roll-ups in a near fall until Kofi gets a leg sweep and boom drop for two. Miz reverses a high cross body for two. Hits a snake eyes for an near fall. Miz unloads hard punches and then charges Kofi, but he walks right into a trouble in paradise for the win. And I always want to call it Thunder in Paradise, but alas. Uh, <laughs> really, really fun match. I like this. Miz's improvement isn't his talking points. He's really come together since teaming with Morrison. He was controlled here. He kept things moving. Kofi's really good at the quick strike offense down the stretch. Uh, the crowd was into it. Nice shine spot for both. A hard-fought, clean war. Went three and a half, Mr. Bennett. Yeah, I thought it had an okay pace to it. I thought they moved pretty well. I've never been a big Miz fan, but I thought he showed himself pretty good here. Kofi's a great athlete. You know, he shows off his athleticism in the ring. Like you said, the crowd is great. Look, I love this building. I've seen Pearl Jam here. Uh, I've seen an NHL hockey game here. It's always a great crowd, no matter what it is. The French uh, people that fill it, they have fuel to burn seemingly all the time. I think back to Hulk's emotional return there. What a great ovation they gave him. Um, and I was thinking about things like this. Old time, I was just distracted. Something was off. This was fine, though. It was good. I'll give it three. I liked it. Wow. That's like a six for you. 2009. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I gave it three. And a, I, <laughs> I gave it three and a quarter. Um, and that was fun. I mean, again, Kofi is is, is a nice um, a boost of adrenaline for, um, you know, for the uh, for the mid card and being a champion. I think he, I think it's a solid move for him. Um I like the Miz. He's slowly getting there. He's slowly starting to show a little maturity and he's getting, he's, you know, he's, he's, I think he still has the long goofy tights and, you know, I think he comes, still comes out with the fucking hat and all that. So he's slowly getting out of that like immature mid two thousands gimmick. And he's starting to, you know, grow up a little bit and trying to, you know, make the, 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 the bookers or Vince, you know, give him, a real opportunity, but being highlighted in a mid card, big mid card match uh, is definitely a, a, an improvement for him and a boost. Uh, having said that King Kofi doesn't deserve to lose. So I'm not surprised Miz lost, but I think it was a really good match. And uh, I feel like the mid card is being galvanized a little bit and we're getting good matches and good talent using who's there. Um, while the main events kind of locked in on, on a certain, on a certain group of guys and we'll get to them in a minute, but uh, I enjoyed the match three and a half. They worked really hard and I like, I love Oh nine Kofi. It's just so exciting. And, and he bring, he brought a, a breath of fresh air to the mid card. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this era of guys a lot on multiple podcasts across all of our networks, North South PTB, like, right. This is that lost era of dudes. Um, yep. You know, it's just like, these are the guys that they needed to, develop into main adventure sooner than later and some of them get there kofi and miz you know arguably get there but they don't become superstars but they become main event level guys within the construct of the company uh, but th this is like during this time where the the name du dudes were hanging on a little bit longer than you expect but this group of guys that they were prepping never take that big leap and this is what leads to that dark period of like 10 11 12 before they you know, up, up shift and, and get things going again. But right. this is a dearth of talent that doesn't make that leap and Morrison and Swagger and Kofi and like all these guys. So, um, all right, we get a video package for our next match, which surprisingly enough happens pretty early in the show. Uh, and that is the generation X, Shawn Michaels and Triple H taking on Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase of legacy submissions count anywhere, Scott. Mm -hmm. 
Well, on the 824 Raw, DX held a birthday celebration for Vince, uh, much to, of course, Vince's chagrin, until Legacy interrupted, and in the main event, DX and Vince would defeat Legacy in a six-man no-DQ tag, as Vince announced DX and Legacy would face off at the pay-per-view in a submissions count anywhere match. Uh, on the 831 Raw, Cody was given a WWE title match by the guest host, his old man. I'm giving a title set to my son! <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. Naturally. Yeah. And throughout the night, DX would, should have given it to Jason. DX would rib Dusty about some of his creations in WCW. Um, in the main event, DX would try to save John Cena from an attack by Legacy, only for Dusty to side with Legacy and laid all three men out. It's just like a yeah, weird uh, heel turn. By it's Dusty. like when Dusty joined the NWO. It's like <laughs> yeah. so fucking weird. <laughs> totally out of left field. On the 9-7 Raw, uh, DX would defeat Orton and Chris Masters in a tag match as Legacy would come out and the two teams brawled to the back until Legacy escaped in a car. <laughs> Dusty heel turn. Remember when, uh, I, I go back to like those, what was that? 90, Bash 90? I don't remember what it was. Sometime in 98. Sold out in 98. Sold out in 98. And fucking like, like Tony's all like depressed and mm. I never thought this would happen. Oh, it was like, so it was ridiculous. That, that, that when I, when I remember that, I'm like, oh my God, I, I totally remember that. But yeah, should have given here we go. The few continue to try and establish legacy, and uh, I think it's a pretty good use of Sean Hunter out of the title picture, despite their nonsense and silliness. Um, they're at least using them to try and bring these guys up below. Big pop for DX as they head out. Good step in place, something we don't always see. Hunter uh, blames Sean for screwing Brett to laughs during their shtick. Uh, followed by Legacy, they come out to booze. We start fast with all four brawling and DX controlling, taking out the knees of both guys. DX continues targeting the legs. They go into the crowd. They all end up with the fans. They get thrown up and down the steps. Hunter and Cody end up brawling in the concourse near the concession. Sean and DiBiase brawl on the balcony before they join in the concourse. DX do stereo figure fours, but Legacy break free. We get loud Olay chants. They all head back down the stairs where DX tries to force a submission again. Back to ringside, DX continues to dominate. Hunter uses a chair to brutalize Cody, ends up hooking on a sharpshooter. Sean goes into a camel clutch with Cody laying across the open seat of a chair, which looked really cool. All uh, night has had uh, some unique camera angles, I thought, during the, during the show. And we get some really different camera shots here that I thought made things feel even more chaotic. So I don't know if they were just trying some different stuff. Hunter works over DiBiase in the ring. Legacy keeps finding ways to survive, just like they did at SummerSlam. Legacy hangs in, but they can't get any offense going. They're all doing some unique stuff. Sean and Cody go back up into the stands as Hunter and Ted lay on the floor and trade punches. Sean gets thrown off the stands and onto the platform. The ref starts calling for help. Legacy take Triple H backstage and batter him as Sean is being tended to on the floor. Hunter puts Ted through a catering table with a spine buster and hooks a crossface on Rhodes, but DiBiase recovers for the save. Hunter gets laid out next to a mess of food as Legacy reemerge through the entrance and beat the shit out of Sean all the way back to the ring. Sean survives an ankle lock. He keeps fighting through both guys. Puts Cody in a figure four, but DiBiase saves. Sean keeps pushing through the double teams, but Legacy put him in a ring post figure four and choke him out. And Sean finally taps just as Hunter is crawling to the ring. Uh, I thought this was better than SummerSlam. Similar in structure with DX dominating, but Legacy surviving and finding a way to escape and win. Uh, they take as many shots as they could, but it looked like they couldn't put the Legends away until Sean tapped out. Like, he's not a guy that's tapped out much, you know, so he taps out clean here. Uh, to these guys. So that's that's a pretty big endorsement. Uh, it was a little long, but I like the creativity. The crowd was really into it. And I, I love them putting over Legacy. You know, I, I want to say clean. Obviously, it's cheating, but it's clean within the construct of the match. So I actually went three and three quarters, Scott. This is really good. Um, and I really thought it established Legacy 
as players to get this win. It feels like this was a strong moment for them. And I liked a lot of the creative submission spots they did in the camera angles, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I gave it three and a half. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot as well. Uh, you know, legacy needed to win, obviously, if we're going to keep this going. Um, I, I enjoyed, I obviously am enjoying the fact that DX is kind of supporting the upper mid card. Um, because we have, you know, a, a, we already have a main event title feud going on. There's nowhere else for these guys to go. So you might as well throw the, the face, you know, might as well throw the neon on and do something. Um, I find it funny that DX is acknowledging, like there's a storyline acknowledging that someone's calling them old. Like, I didn't think they would want to do that, but I don't think, I mean, neither of them really care as long as it gets, it gets over. And it kind of is. DiBiase and Rhodes are a good, uh, are a good team. Um, you know, I think they should have done a, a conversation about where they really where you know, like Cody asking Ted, so where did your dad take? Sapphire. <laughs> um, that would have been great, actually. Um, but I thought it was a good match. You know, listen, this is a very strange, a very strange gimmick pay-per-view in that aspect. And I that's why I understand, Steve, why you probably walked into this wondering what the hell you were getting yourself into. Because it is a very strange, different gimmick for a pay-per-view to try to carry this, you know. Um I want to ask somebody like an Aaron or a Chad what their thoughts were on this show in terms of a gimmick. Cause I feel like it's something that couldn't hold up an entire show and have all these gimmick matches, particularly with guys that don't have submission finishers. But having said that, I thought the match was fun. It went at a good pace. It was, it was, it was hard fought. There was good grinding. And I think legacy winning was the right thing to do, Steve, but it was very surprising that they, that that it's that this feud is getting it getting along as it did, considering DX is acknowledging that they're old. Because in 06, we wanted to do that, but but they didn't want to. But now we are. <laughs> you know, it's weird. You know what? I must be stupid because not until just now, looking at my notes and listening to you, did I realize what breaking point meant. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh so yeah, I that's fine. I'll take the uh take the L as they say. Uh usually this would be exactly what i want to see in a show like this guys either from my era or around that era facing off against guys who are legacies of guys from my era um but i don't know for some reason i was just kind of annoyed to see uh triple h and michaels i still felt wore out from their shtick a little bit and this is way way too long i mean i don't know at what point it was but i just started thinking like Lordy, 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 why is this fourth match on a nothing pay-per-view? 22 minutes they went. I just, I was seeing stars by the end. There was some good stuff in here, but they wore me out. So I went two and three quarters, I guess. I mean, it is long for sure, but it's also, I, I think, one of the marquee matches of the show. It's been one of the feuds really dominating TV. So I, I think, like, it wasn't out of left field that they gave this that much time because it was one of the like highlighted top matches of the show coming in. Well, that shows you what they had going on in 09, I guess. Oh, I'm not going to disagree, but I'm just saying, like, I think there's a reason. It, I don't, I don't want to come on here and be a hater either. Like last time I was on, it was a show that wasn't my era. I gave a lot of good grades and I have some good grades coming up too. Um, but this just wasn't my favorite. I just thought it was too long. 
Josh Matthews talks to Randy Orton, but he sits in silence. He has no comment about Legacy's win. Orton fucks with him a bit, but stays stoic and creepy in previewing what he's going to do to John Cena tonight. Brings us to a big uh, WrestleMania 23 rematch, Scott, as Kane takes on the great Kali. How do these two matriculate back into each other's lives? Sadly, uh, there are reasons. Uh, on the 828 SmackDown, Kali attacked Kane after his match and assaulted him with a Singapore Kane. On the 9-4 SmackDown, Kali and Finley defeated Kane and Mike Knox in a tag, just as this match was announced for the pay-per-view. And on the 9-11 SmackDown, Kali defeated David Hart Smith by DQ when Kane got involved and he would pull out a Singapore Kane himself, but Kali would block it and give Kane the tree slam. Why these guys needed... Uh, a Singapore cane, I don't have any idea. <laughs> well, honestly, it's probably could only help. That's so. true. That is true. Kane comes out. He's uh, here to torture his giant nemesis. Great Kali comes in. Kane meets him with right hands. Kali chops back. Both men get the cane, a cane, and start swinging at each other until they go to the floor. Kane goes after the knee. Back inside, Kane uses the cane to batter Kali to the mat. Goes after the knees. Starts to go for covers. Kane uses the cane as part of the arm bar. The crowd is checking out. Kali comes back with some rattling Kane shots on Kane. Gets a hard one to the head for two. Kali grabs the head vice. Kane breaks free. Gets two on a top rope. Kane shot from Kane with the cane. Singh comes in. Hits Kane with a cane, but Kali saves. Wax Kane with a chop. Kali checks on Singh, but Kane chokes him out with the cane. Snaps his neck and finishes with a choke slam to a decent pop. Not much here. It was slow as pedantic. The crowd was not into it. Some decent cane shots, but really nothing else besides a cool finish. These guys got to either do something else or nothing at all, and I'd be fine with either option. <laughs> Just get out of this. Uh, I went a star and a quarter, Steve. Oof. Oof. I said I didn't want to be a hater. <laughs> no, I mean, this is not great. But uh, look at, I, there's, the, there's the next couple. I'll give some nice scores. Can I go dud? Yeah, go for it. All right. Did you too? Dud. Um... Yeah, this is this is Kane with a cane. I wonder if that was supposed to be. I wonder if that was Vince trying to be Probably. cute and forcing him to say Kane with a cane, Kane with a cane. I gave it one star just out of just for, um, I don't know, format formatics. I don't know. Kane yeah, some of the cane. cane shots were good. I actually I did like the finish. So yeah, but I mean, <laughs> this is just this is rough. Kali is just done. I mean, his knees are shot, his ankles are shot. You could just tell he's not moving well. They should have um, called it because they they like they got way more out of this guy than they should have when he first debuted. To get those little title runs, the match with Cena, the stuff with Hunter, like they got some good stuff out of him for a couple of years. Like, all right, pack it in. Yeah, no, it's time to move on. Or use him as a sideshow that isn't getting pay per view feuds with with other guys. Like, if you right. want to have him on Raw to do the kiss cam or be a backup for someone and maybe just do house shows. Like be an to, attraction, right? Yeah, do yeah, that. Right. But he doesn't need pay-per-view feuds. With the, it's just, he just doesn't have it in the tank, like you said. Yeah. No, it's not good. One star. All right. Eve Torres talks to CM Punk about his big challenge tonight. He brags about being a straight-edge champion three weeks after running Jeff Hardy away. Jeff said what uh, did what Punk said he would. You'll never see Punk's mugshot in the papers. He shits on Montreal. He says he isn't scared. The lights go off and Punk panics, but it's just Jimmy Wang Yang messing with him. Punk beats him down. Uh, this is good. Punk's straight-edge character continues to come into form. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. We get clips of Christian versus William Regal from SummerSlam, and that sets up the rematch. Christian versus William Regal, Scott, uh, for the ECW title. What's led up yes. to this? 
On the 825 ECW, Regal cut a promo about bringing Ezekiel Jackson and Vladimir Kozlov together until Christian interrupted and reminded Regal he beat him in eight seconds, and Regal demanded a rematch. As Tiffany came out and said, I forgot she was still there, and said Regal could get a title shot if he beat Christian in a non-title match. In the main event, Regal would defeat Christian thanks to Kozlov to earn a title shot at the pay-per-view. On the 9-1 ECW, Kozlov and Jackson squashed two jobbers, and Regal would attack them afterwards until Christian and Tommy Dreamer appeared on the stage, and Dreamer would pull out a pair of sticks as he and Christian cleared the three men from the ring. And at the 9-8 ECW, Christian cut a promo on facing Regal at the pay-per-view, and in the main event, Regal and Kozlov defeated Christian and Dreamer in a tag. Christian hits the ring, followed by Regal, who's looking uh, better, hopefully, for a better showing this time than the Summerside debacle. He marches out with Zeke and Vlad, but we find out Tiffany has banned those beasts, and they have to leave. Christian quickly goes to the kill switch again, but Regal pushes free. We reset as the crowd rallies Christian. He controls the arm, peppers away, but Regal hangs in, tries to stagger around for an opening. Regal finally takes over. He grinds away at the back. Regal gets a nice gut wrench that turns Christian inside out for two. Hammers away, twists into some fun submission attempts between pounding strikes and suplexes. Christian tries to make a comeback, but Regal slugs him back down with a hard forearm and grinds away at his face. Regal gets a sick head and arm cradle suplex into a bridge for two. Christian comes back, takes to the air. Regal catches him coming off. It's a rolling sentine for two. We get a quick flare reversals into a kill switch, and Christian gets the win and retains the ECW title. Pretty hard-fought war between two of the best. Regal was on his shit here, going deep in his bag to grind and beat on Christian. Christian always takes that beating, though, and finds a way to get the lethal finish the kill switch. It was a really old-school, hard-hitting, shit-kicking battle. I liked watching how it evolved and to see Christian retain. I went three and a half, Scott, so pretty damn good match. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I like uh, both these guys, of course. I was hoping for a, you know, instead of that SummerSlam mess that we had, but I gave it three and a half. I thought that uh, them working together in an extended match would make Christian look better. Cause I mean, Regal's a stud, so we're not going to have any, you know, there's no issues there. Um, and uh, I'm feeling now at this point that ECW is definitely on its last legs. Uh, this is a nice feud. Mm-hmm. But just ha- you know, just having it for the sake of because of the world of the ECW belt, it's definitely starting to feel like ECW is not fitting anymore. Like, all right, it got its three years worth, but now, um, now it's starting to like lose its luster. Like, there's no sense of extreme here except for the guys. Oh wow, Tommy no, Drew- it's become it's. I mean, it's kind of become what ECW was right toward the end where just without the extreme stuff, but it's a mix of veterans who are kind of trying to hang on and find their way with young guys up and coming. And like, it's kind of that spirit and you can see why they change it to NXT because the spirit is there of like almost a developmental. Right. Um, and that's where you had a, a, not even a year later or so in 2010, but. And it makes perfect sense and that's okay. But the fact that you're branding at ECW and we, we don't even have blood anywhere anymore. Just totally that 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 point of it, the concept of what they're doing within the construct of the guys is one thing, but it's not it shouldn't be branded as ECW. I mean, we're in the era now where there's barely any blood in anything. I mean, our next pay-per-view should have had a ton of it and it had none. So barely any. So it's just it's it's kind of nonsense. But having said that, Steve, the match is really good. Uh, Christian's getting, you know, Christian continues to always grow and just be better and better. A lot of people consider him a better wrestler than Edge. 
between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And Regal's just Regal. So I, 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 I gave it three stars. I thought it was a fun match. Yeah, this I very much enjoyed. Uh, I like William Regal very much. Christian, I was at his debut uh, pay-per-view at the In Your House breakdown in Hamilton, which I believe was in 99 or something like that. Um, this I, have, I enjoyed very much. I thought they both worked really well. Um, I thought it was the right amount of time. It, it flew by. I thought their work was really crisp and unique. And, man, Regal is great. I just appreciated watching these two guys work, and I gave it 3.5. There you go. Pat Patterson is brought out for some recognition. He talks to the fans about his legacy as being the first intercontinental champion. Before he can introduce our current champion, Dolph Ziggler comes out and interrupts. Patterson says he was out of town and no one asked him about Dolph last night. Pat messes with him some more, but as he goes to leave, Dolph brings him back over. Dolph asks, when WWE got taken over by senior citizens like Pat and Bob Barker. Dolph keeps cracking old jokes. He says he thought Pat had died. He just keeps going and going. Dolph calls him a coward and kicks him in the stomach and walks off as John Morrison comes to protect Patterson. That's a fine heat builder for Dolph, but I, this definitely went too long. Like I just dragged on with the jokes. I, we could have tightened it up a little bit. And I got the point, get Patterson the moment in, in his hometown, but um, I thought it probably just went on a little too long. Agreed. Yes. Yeah, I agree too. No disrespect to Pat, Love, but this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happens a lot when they try to do this stuff. You know what I mean? Sometimes it just goes a little too long. Yep. All right. We get a video package for our next match, and it's yet another chapter in a very long rivalry, Scott. And that is John Cena taking on Randy Orton in an I Quit match for the WWE Championship. Uh, what has happened since the last time these two squared off? Well, uh, there is an extra step. If anyone interferes on Orton's behalf, he automatically loses the belt. On the 824 Raw, Legacy cut a promo as the mystery man that got involved at SummerSlam was Ted DiBiase's brother, Brett. And Orton said his involvement was inexcusable, and Vince McMahon would announce that Orton would face Cena in an I Quit match at the pay-per-view with the stipulation in place as Cena would help Vince and DX defeat Legacy in the main event. On the 831 Raw, guest host Death DeRoad would grin, of course, his son a title shot with Cena as the guest referee, much to Orton's chagrin. And in the main event, Cody and Orton went to a no contest when both men attacked Cena with Dusty's approval as DiBiase would come out and the three men laid Cena out before celebrating with Dusty, only for Orton to give Dusty the RKO. On the 9-7, on the 9 keep him, keep him, keep him the heat up, uh, Dusty. Get your, heat, get your face heat back. Cena defeated Rhodes by DQ on the 9-7 Raw when Orton got involved, and later in the night, Cena would go after Orton, only for Orton to give him the RKO on a chair. So, here we go. All right, I quit. Stip in place. Orton has dominated the promotion, still has his gold. Saunches out in a psychotic trance, followed by Cena. Usual split pop for him. Good buzz in the arena as they stare down. Eventually get into it. Cena attacking and hammering away to cascading booze. They quickly spill outside where Orton bashes Cena with a monitor. Drags him back inside with a hanging DDT. Cole reminds us of the RKO on the chair on Raw, how Cena could still be affected. Cena breaks an RKO attempt and runs through Orton with a flurry of his usual closing offense. Orton quickly cuts him back down, slowly lines up a punt, but Cena dodges and tries the SDF, but Orton rolls to the floor. Orton shoots Cena to the steps and regroups. Um, Methodically picks apart Cena's head, stomping into it in the stairs. Uh, Really hard-looking spot. Cena doesn't quit, though. Back inside, Orton cuffs Cena to the ropes, keeps kicking and hammering him in the head. Cena won't give in as Orton continues to slowly smack him around. Orton unlocks him from the ropes and cuffs his hands together, hangs him from the ring post and slugs away, splashes water on him so he doesn't pass out. 
Cena spits water back at Orton's face and refuses to quit. Orton smacks Cena with a cane, including a shot to the head. Cena kicks Orton down, slips off the post, but his stomach is layered in welts. Orton grabs a chair and plasters him with it, cuffs him back to the post. Cena's able to backdrop Orton in the, on a charge and grab the key and hook himself, cuffs himself to Orton and hammers away. Back inside, Cena goes in on the back, yanks on Orton with the cuff as Randy tries to crawl for the key. Cena pulls Orton back and hooks the STF using the handcuffs, and Orton quits. Uh, I thought this was more like torture porn than a match. Uh, it was just Orton doing all kinds of assaults in a slow serial killer type way, picking Cena apart, asking him to quit. So the pace was different, but the crowd really stayed with it. Uh, Cena, as usual, took a shit kicking and finds a way to win. I thought this was long again, but I thought they filled the time in a different way. So I, I found this one tough to grade, Scott. Like, I, I could see if someone hated it and why. I could see if someone liked it a lot and why. So I tried to just split the difference. I gave him three and a quarter, kind of like, Points are trying to do something different, keeping the crowd engaged, approaching this less of a submission match, and I quit more of a just bludgeon a guy that you hate type style. And Orton's really feeding into it as a stereo killer right now. Yeah, I gave this three and three quarters. You know, the one thing, and, and we'll, I think JR, you and I will get more into this on the next show. Um, I know a lot of people that, that feel like they're, they're seeing a lot of Orton scene of fatigue but there's one thing i will say it's it's yes when you see the same two guys wrestle all the time it is but at least in their case the matches are always entertaining whether you wonder where they're coming from uh is one thing i like i like your torture porn uh uh analogies that that does kind of when orton has that creepy look on his face and that's why he that's why he's so great we've loved this 0809 orton um uh, it it's one thing when you have to see the same guys over and over and the matches get worse and worse. Um, I don't think you get that with Orton and Cena, but you say to yourself, all right, how far do we go before we don't, these guys need to like chill out. We understand they're the faces of this generation or maybe the past generation or whatever, but, or the past era, but it's time to, you know, move on and see what else is, is out there. But actually still put on good matches and three and three quarters for me is pretty good for both these guys steve i i didn't hate it but like jr it's i'm not sure how to wrap my head around it and if it will get can they can they match this is this their peak you know if they continue forward is this as best as we get all right so <laughs> This is interesting because I always feel like I'm somewhere else with Cena than everyone else. And I, I know there's reasons for it. For one, until the WWE Network came out, I don't know if I'd ever actually sat down and watched one of his matches. You know, I knew who he was, obviously. I knew what a star he was. Uh, I read about him, but I wasn't watching. And um, when the network came out and I tried to watch for a little bit, he was by far my favorite thing. And my second thing, second favorite thing was Randy Orton. And even if you, you're, you're plucking me into 09, you guys have been, you know, going along here. I don't know how many times they've wrestled before this, this year, but obviously this is the first one I'm watching. I don't have any fatigue. It's a clean slate for me. And it's two of my, it's my two favorite guys who have wrestled in the promotion since the attitude era. Um, and when I did the stretch project last year, I had John Cena at four. Um, he is uh, he's one of my one of my favorite guys. So I am going to 
Um, I'm going to give this. I thought they were awesome. I thought they tore it down. I thought they were. I thought it was amazing. I had so much fun watching it. I I pop, I didn't know who was going to win. I popped for Cena when he did. Um, I, <laughs> all right, I'm going to give it 4.75. I'm just going to stick. Wow. With all right, I'm going to stick with my original grade. I wow. I I don't think you could show me a match in 2009. I would like more than this one. Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker. You seen that one? <laughs> Who? Okay. No, what did you say? I didn't hear you. Oh, <laughs> Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker. Oh, was that their first one? Yeah. Okay, maybe that one. Okay. Um. Yeah. No. I mean, like I said, I, I could see someone loving this. I could see someone hating it. I could, and I tried to split the difference. I, I think, yes, some of that fatigue is there a little bit. Um. I can also see if someone thought it was kind of slow and and just not what they like, right? But I do think they were locked in character and story wise through most of this. So I, I enjoyed it more than I thought coming in. I'll say that. Uh, I loved it. My favorite match in this era, I guess. Well, I, I, I guess like that. There's other ones that are more historically significant, I guess, that I've sat down to watch. It's, oh, wow. That is great. I can see why. Like you mentioned, Sean and, um, but one that isn't necessarily known to be great, right? I don't think you could find a better one for me than this. If that makes any sense. I don't know. All right. Let's get to our main event. We get a video package, and that sets up CM Punk taking on The Undertaker. Submission match for the World Heavyweight title. Scott, how did we arrive with Undertaker challenging Punk? Well... On the 828 SmackDown, uh, Punk cut a promo bragging about his win over Jeff at the pay-per-view and took exception to Taker interrupting him. And Jeff would interrupt as Punk said their cage match should include a stipulation where the loser must leave WWE, which Jeff agreed to. Teddy Long would come out and make it official as he announced the winner would face Taker at the pay-per-view in a submission match. And in the main event, um, uh, Punk defeated Jeff in a cage match. Jeff said goodbye. Of course, he would leave WWE, but Punk would attack him on the stage while he was saying his goodbyes. And as JR mentioned, we would not see him again for about eight years, at least here at WWE. On the 9-4 SmackDown, Punk came out dressed as Jeff and said Jeff was never coming back as he would never miss a show or WrestleMania doing an incident or failed test. And he said that Taker was no longer the solitary icon of SmackDown as Taker had to rely on magic tricks against him. He says he is straighter than any line the fans snort up their nose or harder than any drink. <laughs> Jeez. But then Matt Hardy came out and brawled with Punk. In the main event, Matt defeated Punk by DQ. Punk would try to injure Matt like he did Jeff, but when the lights went out and Taker would appear as he gave Punk a choke slam through the announce table. On the 9-11 SmackDown, Taker cut a promo of the pay-per-view until Punk interrupted and said Taker had preyed on the fans for 20 years to the point that they believe the match tricks are real. And he said that he would make Taker tap and the fans would dive into their pills and alcohol. <laughs> when he did, as Taker said, the fans would be telling Punk rest in peace. In the main event, Punk defeated Matt in a submission match. When the lights went out, when they came on, Taker appeared on the stage with the title belt while Punk stood dumbfounded in the ring. Jeez, Punk really went, uh, he went there. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, he's going hard with this character out of the gate and it's going to become, you know, one that's really, uh, one of the most memorable runs they have during this era is punk with the straight edge stuff over the next year or so. So Correct. Uh, this is really just the earliest days of it. Really big main event slot. Punk is the closer building credit with this new gimmick, his strong rain and push way better than the year before. Taker back in the title picture comes out with a pop and long entrance. Grisham reminds us takers never tapped out. Take a while to finally get going after all the drama. Taker dominates with strikes. 
throws Punk clear over the top to the floor. Back inside, Taker keeps peppering the champ. They head back outside where Taker keeps up a barrage. Punk turns the tide with some chair shots. Back in the ring, Taker fights through the attack, loads up old school, but Punk crotches him, meets him with a running kick to the head, and then a top rope superplex. Taker slugs his way back into things. The crowd heats up behind Taker as he hits Snake Eyes and the big boot. Punk kicks Taker in the head to break out of a choke slam. Punk follows up, but Taker grabs Hell's Gate. And CM Punk taps right away as Undertaker is our new world champion. At least we thought so, because Teddy Long comes out. It says Hell's Gate was banned on SmackDown a long time ago by Vicky Guerrero, and that remains true. Thus, the finish is invalid, and the match will continue. The bell restarts. Punk, oh, I'm sorry, the bell sounds, and the match restarts. Punk attacks Taker with a quick flurry, but he eats a big boot. Punk slides out of the last ride, takes his knee out, hooks the Anaconda Vice, and the bell rings as Punk leaves with the title, Taker not tapping. More Montreal nonsense, of course. We had to do another screw job, as usual. Uh, I was really disappointing. It was a mini version of what they could do, and Punk really got dominated. Fell out of his league completely. Taker just destroyed him. Uh, kind of just something that was there, as opposed to any kind of heat. And the finish was lame, too. Punk rain looked cut off by a quick tap out. It's a decisive beatdown. We get the stupid reset. We get the dumb Montreal finish. Um, you know, just just really stupid. Punk needs Teddy to win. I I, I hated this. This is my least favorite match of the night. Steve, I went one star. I thought this was worse than Kane and Kali when you think of all the implications. And yet another stupid Montreal screw job. And I thought this show was above average for a show that always gets kind of maligned. I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. But this really left me with like a bad taste in my mouth when I wrapped up. This is absolutely horrible. Absolute horse shit. Um, first of all, I did like CM Punk's promo. I thought that was pretty good. Um, made me laugh a little bit. I, I was... Uh, in my summers, in the when he was in Ring of Honor, I, I played roller hockey during the summer. And one time, we, we didn't have games because the place where we played was hosting Ring, Ring of Honor. And my, my buddy that was really into wrestling and locked in would tell me about stuff. He's like, you got to come and see this guy CM Punk. So I went and watched him. And he just didn't look like a wrestler to me. Um, and he, he, he never does when I watch him. He doesn't look like a wrestler. Uh, he's great on the mic. I, I can give him that. And I like that one match he had with Cena, but mostly because I love Cena. Um, this was just junk. I can't believe poor Undertaker had to waste his time and minutes of his career in the ring with this idiot. Terrible, 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 terrible. I'll give it a half a star for Undertaker. Well, I'll give it one star for Undertaker alone. I didn't even care if the match was good or bad. I am so fucking done with Montreal as a gag. Yeah, it's, that getting, was it's just getting fucking stupid now. Horrible. It's just fucking stupid. We get it. Hardy har fucking har. All right. It's been what? 12 years? Let's move the fuck on. Well, thank God, four months later, a future show we'll discuss, they do. And we don't have to fucking deal with it anymore. Um what's upsetting is is I feel like we can get more out of these two. Takers, takers in a good spot, you know, athletically right now that he could put on good yeah. matches. And they didn't allow it. We had to, oh, we're Montreal. Let's do mystery bells and fucking fuck fuck finishes and Dusty shit. What? But just because Dusty's in a, in a storyline in this company, we have to have a Dusty finish and fucking Montreal? Mm. Really? Come on. Let the fucking guys wrestle. So annoying. I gave it a star just on principle. It's like, 
enough with the fucking bread and WCW and spitting and fucking punches and shit and just get over it. Yeah, it was, it was we didn't need to go back to the fucking well. No. And honestly, half this crowd probably had no idea what the fuck that's about. I mean, half these younger fans are probably either were probably like five years old in nineteen ninety seven. Like, who gives a shit? Yeah. Move once, on. Once you did it once, you did it. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It was dumb, especially with Teddy Long. No one gives a fuck about Teddy. It's, it's just like he's yeah. not like this big, great heel GM or authority figure. Right. At least he was Vince. Uh, all right. Let's get to our awards. Uh, MVP, I went with Legacy. I thought like they looked the strongest on the night for sure. Beating DX clean. Um, that was like the biggest statement of the evening for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. No way. Number four spot of my Mount Rushmore. Proved it tonight, John Cena. Wow. Okay. Uh, LVP, this is where I went with uh, Teddy Long. <laughs> I thought he sucked. I thought he really ruined the main event with his bullshit. It wasn't delivered strongly. There was no heat around it. I just I got angry when he came out and then just made me more mad as it went on. I'm going with Kali and Kane. I just... Why you would make a rematch with these two, even with a weapon, I just don't get. Matches, it's just not good. It wasn't good. Yeah, I was going to go with CM Punk, but he saved himself with the promo, so I'll give it to Kali. All right. All right, best match. I know, Scott, you and I have Legacy DX, and Steve, you have Cena Orton, right? Yep. Okay. Worst match, I think we all agree on Punk Taker. Yeah, just on principle. Bullshit. I'll go with Kali and Kane because I gave it a dud. Yeah, I know, but I feel like the other one meant main event. <laughs> like, like even though it's like a little better grade, I feel like it's just a worse. Fucking Kane and Kali was just a bad match, but that that Taker Punk just. If it makes you feel better, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Whatever, I mean, they both suck. Whatever one you want to write down, fine with me. I put them both. Okay. All right, best moments. Uh, where's mine? I went with Michael's tapping. Um, that was like again the biggest moment of the night to me that he tapped clean for these guys. That's like a big thing. Yeah, I thought the finish was great. They had double, double, uh, double submission going on. Triple H is battling, and and you know it's the first time they actually showed a little ass there. And like, yeah, maybe these guys are too slow for Legacy. It actually was a very well booked finish. Yeah, it's it's Avatar night at the Oscars here. I'm going with Cena um, tapping out Orton for the to win the championship. All right, all right. Surprise of the night. I went with, uh, I mean, it was the worst moment to me, but I guess it's also the surprise. Teddy Long's Montreal redux. Yeah, the surprise that they actually would attempt to do this again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, one thing I said to myself when I was looking at the card and playing it is like, I bet you they're going to do some kind of ode to the screw job here. And they did. So I don't know how surprised I was, but. I don't have anything better to say, so that's fine. All right, final grade. I went five and a half out of ten. I was trending higher just because I liked the matches again more than I thought. The crowd was good. Um, I liked the flow of the card, and I was like, okay, maybe like this is a decent little 09 card. We've had a dip in quality since 08 for sure. Um, my grades have been consistent. I've had a three straight six and a half. So I was probably right in line with that, but I ended up dropping it on the main event, which was so bad. I'm going to – I dropped it too, but not maybe – I was going to give it a six and a half, but I'm not going to drop it as low as you. I'll give it a, I'll give it a six. 
Um, I think it's a much better show than than people want to admit. Um, other than the main event and the Kali match, every match was fun. I had no problems with any of them. Uh, I did love watching uh, Legacy win. I thought that was very fitting. Um, I was kind of surprised Cena won. Not enough to give it surprise and a, a surprise award, but um, I I uh, I thought the show overall was good. I, I think I'd watch it again sometime down the line, but I was going to give it a six and a half. But that fucking garbage ending ruined a half a star for me. So, but it's I still I still liked it overall. So I'll give it a six. I think for me, if you guys would have said, here's a show that's going to have showcase the worst of 09, the best of 09, and some stuff in between, this would be the show, right? I think there's, like, some of the best of what they'll do all year. Michaels and Taker withstanding, and maybe there's a couple others you put in that category as well. And then there's some total garbage. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go... I'm going to say right between you guys, but I think you already have five and a half. I'll, I'll go with Scott. I'll go with six. Okay. I mean, for me, based on grades alone, it's the worst pay-per-view we've watched so far this year. But, um, again, that really is a product of the main event. Like, if that main event just even delivers at three stars, I'd probably go six and a half. And that puts it in line with most of the shows. So, um, that really was uh, a down way to end. But... We will end here on an up note. I want to thank everyone for listening. Of course, we'll be back in two weeks' time. We'll be talking Hell in a Cell 2009. We'll have a returning guest. Be sure to check out everything we have to offer at the Place Me Nation Wrestling Feed, Place Me Nation Pop Experience, and, of course, the North-South Connection, where you can find a lot of audio and video podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube. And, of course, check out Steve over at the Sportscasters Podcast, as well as 24-Inch Podcast. Follow any of us on social media, and we can link you to everything you need to get to. Steve, thanks for joining us. Yeah, as oh, always, Justin. Thank you, Steve. Yes, three by Great five every Tuesday on the North South YouTube. Every Tuesday, my friend, you're there on YouTube. So subscribe. You can get Steve's top five lists every Tuesday. So we'll talk to you in two weeks. Everyone, take care. Thanks for listening. Peace.